Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm sure you are aware that there is a pandemic that is sweeping our world. 52 million cases worldwide. 10 million cases in the United States, and this past week, Michigan topped 250,000 cases. And there seems to be a spike that is happening at this point. The bad news is there are more cases now than there have ever been. The good news is that more people have gotten over it than ever have before. Now, you can call it COVID. You can call it call it. Um, Coronavirus, you can call it the Wuhan plague. You can say it started in China. There are a lot of things you can say about it, but we've learned a lot, haven't we? We've learned the art of mask wearing. My wife has taught me that my mask must come down over my chin. Otherwise, it gives me a double chin look. We've learned how to, cut, how to sanitize our hands. We, we've learned how to greet each other. We've learned how to, how to stay home, stay safe. We, we've learned, well, we haven't learned how to eat with masks yet. But we, we've learned a lot of things. But I want to submit to you this morning that there is a greater plague that is attacking our culture and our churches. And that is a plague that violates truth. That is a plague that has taken truth and repackaged it so that it becomes culturally correct. Truth is a pandemic in our society. And all you have to do is think back a few weeks during the presidential campaign when this ad said this and that ad said that, and they were completely opposite things. And you sat there and you scratched your head and you said, which one is truth? And that's exactly what is taking place in our culture. It is also taking place in our churches. And departing from the truth causes great spiritual sickness. There were those who would say, don't worry about doctrine. It's all about God's love. And as long as God's love supersedes everything else, it doesn't matter. Well, it is true that God loves us. And aren't you thankful for that this morning? And it is true that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it is true that God so loved the world that he gave that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. That's all true. But God loves us enough not to let us stay the way we are. Because as God's love transforms our lives into new creatures in Christ Jesus, we are then challenged and changed so that we might be conformed to the character of Christ. That's God's love. God's love is designed to work in our hearts, to build into our lives, and to make us more like Him. God's love directs us to be included in the body of Christ. You see, we don't believe in cultural inclusion where everybody in our culture gets together. We believe in transformational inclusion, inclusion because it is the transforming power of the Word of God through the love of God that makes a difference in our hearts and our lives. Back in Timothy's day, Paul was concerned about sound doctrine. He was concerned about truth. In fact, in, in chapter 1, 
Paul says to Timothy, certain persons are going to depart from the truth. In, in chapter 4, he says that in the latter days, there will be those who will lay aside truth. And here in chapter 6, Paul says, beware of false teachers because they do not teach the truth. And so this morning, you and I need to understand something about truth. Because our culture is not the standard for truth. God is. May I repeat that statement? Our culture is not the standard for truth. God is. And it is God's redemptive plan that is woven through the pages of history that gives to us stability and a foundation so that we might have a personal relationship with him. Now I want to start out this morning by helping us understand what truth is all about. Because if you don't know what the truth is, then you're not going to be able to put it up against that which is false. Now the umbrella for truth is the gospel. And I'm going to call this the fundamentals of the faith. And I want you to understand this. Any doctrine that if removed it would take away from the gospel, must be considered a fundamental of the faith. So it is the doctrines that drive us to the gospel that gives to us stability. Now, we can't have discussion and we can even debate. Ecclesiastical structure, by that I mean church structure. We can debate church worship style. We can debate an eschatological timeline, future events, when this is going to take place, and this is going to take place, and this is going to take place. We can debate superlapsarianism and sublapsarianism, and you all care about those, don't you? We can debate the, the free will of man with Arminianism and the sovereignty of God with Calvinism. We can debate covenant theology and dispensational theology. We can even debate how we live out the gospel and how we fulfill the Great Commission. But anything that takes away from the gospel is not debatable. Now, let me share with you six fundamentals of the faith this morning. And these are, these are critical, folks. It all starts with the Scripture. The Scripture gives to us the authority of God and the inspiration from God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? This book is truth. Cover to cover, page by page is truth. It's fundamental of the faith that man is a sinner. Although man was created in the image of God, he fell. And he now exists in a fallen condition because if we didn't understand that, then the gospel would be unnecessary. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's not how good we are. It's not how bad we are. It's that we do not measure up to God's perfect holy standard. And that puts us all together because we're all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Fundamentals of faith deal with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was virgin born. 
And the only way he could live a sinless life was to be born of a virgin. And he is the son of God. He is deity. It's not put your hand in the hand of the man who walked on water. Jesus Christ is the son of God. And that is foundational to the gospel. Because it was Christ who died for our sins, who was buried in and rose again. Foundation of the gospel is the sacrifice of Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. John said, Behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Without his sacrificial death and his bodily resurrection, there would be no gospel. That is foundational truth. Two more, please. Foundation of the gospel is what the gospel is. It is by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. We can add nothing to it. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can do to supplement it. It was by God's grace, God giving to us what we do not deserve. It was by our faith, accepting what God has done in our place. And it was through Jesus Christ alone that gives to us the gospel. And lastly, sovereignty. Sovereignty, there is only one true and living God. And Jesus Christ will return and he will rule on this earth. That's all the gospel. And so we look at that which is foundational for us, we must recognize that it's all packaged in the gospel because it is that gospel that gives to us stability in this very unstable world. Now, I want to give you the big picture this morning because it's important that we understand what Jesus said when he said in John's Gospel, chapter 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And here's the big picture statement this morning. We are stabilized by the truth. Therefore, we need to be aware of erosion of truth from our culture and from our churches. Now to our text. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Are you there? I want to begin with the last phrase of verse 2. In my Bible there is a uh, subject break. And then I'm going to read through verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. The last verse, uh, last part of verse 2 says, Teach and urge these things. Verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Paul shares with Timothy that there are some characteristics about false teachers and false teaching. The first characteristic is this. False teacher further a different gospel. Verse 3 says, if anyone teaches a different gospel... 
and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. If anyone teaches a different gospel, you know the scripture says that we are saved not of works, lest any man should boast. You know the scripture says that the grace of God that brings salvation is through Jesus Christ. The scripture says that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and you can't get to the Father except through him. And the scripture says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. If anybody furthers a different gospel, they are a false teacher. If anyone does not follow the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're a false teacher. I think it interesting at the end of the most famous message that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, the listeners of Jesus said, he taught with authority, not like the religious leaders. And you and I need to be prepared to listen to the understanding of what Jesus taught so that we can live that out in our lives. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, if somebody doesn't agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're a false teacher. Now, Jesus had some hard things to say. He's had some countercultural things to say. He said them in a way that it evidenced truth. And that's not easy. But anyone who doesn't agree with the teaching of Jesus is a false teacher. And anyone who does not agree that a relationship with Jesus leads toward godliness is a false teacher. Again, verse 3. Teaching that accords with godliness is necessary. I quoted Titus 2.11 earlier. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Now listen to verse 12 teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Any teaching that does not promote godliness is false teaching. Peter says we are to be obedient children. Not fashioning ourselves according to our former lesson or ignorance, but as he is holy has called us, so be holy. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old is passing away. The new is becoming real in our lives. Why? So that we might be more like Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, God loves us enough, so much, that he doesn't want us to stay in our current situation You say, well, that's too restrictive. A train is only free when it's on the tracks. A car is only free when it's on the road. Now, I know about off-road vehicles and all that kind of stuff. I get that. A plane is only free when it is functioning according to the principles of aerodynamics. And a child of God finds real freedom and becoming more like Jesus Christ, which leads us to godliness in our lives. 
There's a second quality of false teachers. Verse 4 says, he is puffed up with conceit. A false teacher has an attitude of conceit. You ever know anybody, my mind's made up, don't confuse me with facts. The word puffed up here is an interesting word. Has the picture of blowing smoke. What false teachers do is, is they cloud your mind. They, they bring so much fog to the subject that, that all of a sudden you're just trying to get out. And people can turn you around and around and upside down and sideways. And unless you're looking at your instruments, you may well run into trouble. I used to do some private piloting. My dad was a flying instructor, and he taught me how to fly. And one of the things we did when we were learning how to fly is we went under the hood. And what we did is is we wore this visor that did not allow us to see outside the airplane, but only allowed us to see our instruments. And what my dad would do is he would put me under the hood, and then he would do something unusual with the airplane, and then he'd say, all right, Tom, it's yours. And the only way I could put it back on a proper flight path was to look at the instruments and figure out where, that's what we need to do in our lives. A false teacher has an attitude of conceit. They're arrogant. They're superior. Peter describes them as waterless springs. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, they're swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And it says here in the text, they're puffed up with conceit and they have an unhealthy craving for controversy. They like to debate stuff. Be careful. Be careful. The third quality of false teachers is that they lack an understanding. In the middle of verse 4 it says, They understand nothing. Why? Because they have a depraved mind, they've departed from the truth, and it's pseudo-intellectual knowledge. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to justify their position with the Scriptures. You can't do that, folks. Truth is truth. And when they lack understanding of truth, It's easy to get off track. Some years ago, I attended a a memorial service here in Battle Creek at a mainline denominational church. The service was for a son of a friend of mine. The friend's son lived in Colorado and had had faced a a difficult time in in their lives and within the last number of months had had met a new friend, a a girlfriend who had had built into his life and, and turned him around a bit. The pastor took us to a text, John eleven twenty five. I thought this is going to be good. Now, you may not be familiar with John eleven twenty five, but John eleven twenty five says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. 
That's a pretty good text, right? As I listened to the message, the pastor said that the resurrection in this gentleman's life was the time that his girlfriend came to him and brought him out of the dumps, out of the doldrums, took him out of his depression, and gave him a new reason for living. I wanted to stand up and say, no! You see, false teachers lack true understanding. They don't get it. And it is so easy for us to violate truth because we're trying to justify it with culture when we do not understand that truth is to lead us to the gospel. And the gospel is pretty exclusive, isn't it? Beware of false teachers. Strife and confusion are often the result of false teachers. has an unhealthy craving for controversy. Quarrels about words. That produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Verse 5, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. It does not allow people to gather together under the authority of of the stability of the word of God. It just scatters everybody. Because it becomes unhealthy. It fails the test of truth. It fails the test of godliness. And it scatters the sheep and works up the body. That's what false teaching does. And with false teachers, there's a real ego. You know what? The last phrase in verse 5 says, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. I become somebody. I get something. I promote myself. The health and wealth theology of today is that godliness is equated with gain and the more godly I am, the, the more God owns, owes me. You know, God does not owe you. God does not owe me a thing. Now, next week we'll talk about stewardship. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. And we'll talk about what real satisfaction is in life. But these false teachers have such an ego that they feel they can gain something simply by promoting themselves. McDonald's Believer's Bible Commentary says this. These men suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Apparently, they chose to be religious teachers as a profession in which they are well paid for a minimum of work. You know, I only work Sundays anyway, right? They make the holiest of vocations a money-gaining craft. This reminds us of a hireling. A hireling shepherds who pose as Christian ministers but have no real love for the truth or the vocation to which they've been called. It's an ego thing. And by the way, I will remind you that in chapter 3 
of 1 Timothy. We have the qualifications for bishops, pastors, and deacons. And in both of those standards, it says, not greedy for gain. I'm only a servant of Jesus Christ. That's it. I am nobody. Somebody told me this morning that uh, the last several messages in their lives have been a blessing to them. I appreciated that. But I said to that person, I said, let's do this. If you are blessed, let's give God's credit. And if you're not, it's my fault. It's, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus Christ and God and who he is. It's not about the person standing up here or the individual you're listening to on the radio or seeing on the TV. If they're promoting themselves, that's their own ego. And that will erase the gospel. It's important that we recognize what truth is. So let me very quickly this morning give to you some standards for truth, all right? Here we go. Truth begins as we test things according to the Word of God. As I said earlier, it's not the culture that gives to us our standard for truth. It's God's Word. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, right? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. right? Why? That we might know truth. And that we might live it out in our lives. Truth is tested according to the word of God. This book will keep me from sin or sin will keep me from this book. It is the word of God that makes a difference. I'm amazed at how truth can get twisted. You know the truth is that God is concerned about life. All life. We call that the sanctity of life, right? The unborn babe is valuable to God. The oldest person is valuable to God. There is a sanctity of life. I heard this past week a Christian say, well, abortion's okay. And it's okay because there are not enough adoptive homes to take all of those babies that would be born if we didn't abort them. That does not pass the test of the Word of God. And you and I need to be aware that cultural norms and standards must pass the test of the Word of God for us to be able to live them out in our lives according to truth. Truth also represents Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, he is the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And truth helps us see Jesus lived out in our lives. Facebook posts that are truth help us see Jesus. Not just allow us to get something off our chests. Social media that leads us to truth, leads us to Jesus. Not to some kind of warm and fuzzy feeling. 
truth must represent Jesus. Jesus stood before Pilate. And Jesus said, I bear witness of the truth. Pilate said, what's truth? That's exactly what our culture is asking today. Truth bears witness of Jesus. Truth unifies us by the Spirit of God. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as personal Savior are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God has a number of responsibilities. And one of them is to guide us into truth. And if we are unified together under the Spirit of God, we're unified under the banner of truth. If our spirits are struggling, we may want to check truth. Let me encourage you this afternoon to read Romans chapter 8. There we read that the law of the Spirit has set us free because it's truth. There we read we live according to the Spirit because He is truth. There we understand that we are set our minds on the Spirit because of truth. And the Spirit in truth bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And the Spirit, even when we struggle and, not, and do not know exactly what God wants to do, prays for us according to truth. We are united in the Spirit. May I remind you that trends come and trends go? I, I, I'm amazed at how trends come and trends go. The trend for the National Football League used to be that they would kneel during the, the national anthem, right? And now they're promoting patriotism. It's amazing to me. Back in June, a tragedy took place in our country where George Floyd was killed. And as a, as a pastor, I was had if I said something about it, and I was had if I didn't. Go back and check out my June 10th blog. Because what I tried to do in that blog was address this cultural issue, and I addressed it from the account of the Good Samaritan, where religious leaders passed this one who had need, and it took the Good Samaritan to get involved in their lives. And you and I, no matter who the person is, need to get involved in people's lives and lead them to the gospel. Be careful that you don't align yourself too closely with trends that are cultural. Because they may well lead you away from truth. And lastly... His way and His word does not change. His way and His word does not change. Scripture says, I am the Lord God, I change not. <laughs> Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whether it is the first century or the 21st century, His way and His word does not change. You know, the Bible reflects a lot of our emotion 
May I share my emotion with you folks? It's found in 3 John. There John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. That's my emotion. And those of you who are parents understand exactly what John was talking about because there is no greater thing than to see your kids walking according to the truth. Amen? Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The truth does not confine us. The truth does not bind us. The truth gives us freedom to live out our lives in Jesus Christ for the honor and glory of our God. And that is truth. I want to go back to my big picture statement. And the big picture this morning is this. We are stabilized by the truth, therefore, we need to be aware of the erosion of truth in our lives. You know, we live in Michigan. We live in southwest Michigan. We live close to Lake Michigan. And we're probably aware of some erosion issues, right? I mean, look at this. Nice homes, because they've been beaten and battered by the surf, are in danger of erosion. Getting pretty close to the edge. And in some cases, it's devastating. The erosion of truth in our culture has devastated our culture. It's worse than any pandemic that ever took place. And you and I need to be aware that an erosion of truth in our church would be devastating. Now we can discuss and debate how the church ought to be run. We can discuss and debate when Jesus is coming back. We can discuss and debate whether it's man's free will or God's sovereignty. We can discuss and debate whether it is covenants that God has given to us or it's dispensation that defines how God works. That's all good. But we cannot get away from truth. And truth needs to drive us. Paul warns Timothy. Timothy? Beware of false teachers. Why? Because they would further a different doctrine. And they would do it with conceit and an ego that does not understand the basics of truth. And all it would do is cause strife and confusion and dissension within the body. Timothy, be careful. Oh, God, help us. God, protect us. God, use us to live out the truth for his honor and for his glory.